Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe. And it keeps it out of sight. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take, me Andy Clark and Matt Macklin with you as usual and today we have a first on Macklin's Take. We've had all sorts of people on this podcast throughout the last 18 months, the last couple of weeks actually we've had back-to-back Hall of Famers in Frank Warren and Al Bernstein but we've had people from all walks of the boxing life, world champions, professional and amateur and people who fulfil every single role that you could possibly think of uh, within the the world of pugilism. But we've never had an Olympic gold medalist. Something missing from our CV is an Olympic gold medalist. And they are rare beasts in the boxing jungle because the Olympics come around just once every four years. So the list of people who have managed to conquer that particular world, um, they're few and far between. But our first joins us today, it's Luke Campbell. Luke, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yourself? Yes, not bad at all. Not bad at all. So I think we've caught you. You are currently, uh, you're in camp and you are living the, the glamorous life in, um, in digs down in, in Canterbury. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, down in Canterbury. So how do you find it? How do you find, find it dragging yourself off? Dragging, <laughs> that, that's the word I would use because I would have to drag myself off down to a, down to a training camp. But are you still as enthusiastic about that aspect of it now as as, as you always have been? Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, every time I go in the gym, I, I want to be better than I was previous time I was in there. And I, you know, I strive to to be better every time, and I've still got that passion. Um, you know, and I, I feel like I'm I'm creeping into my prime as well. Uh, I definitely haven't hit my prime yet, and I feel like I'm getting there. 
Uh, congratulations are in order as well because uh, you've just had a new addition to the family. I saw a picture on social media the other day. Levi, is it? Yes. Yeah. So w- one thing I'm always curious about is how how he's not your first child, obviously, but how does that affect what what I just mentioned there? Because I've always thought that it it could go one of two ways because I, I hear fighters talk a lot about family being a motivation for you to do as well as you possibly can in your boxing career because you've got people to look after and 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 you want to provide the best life for them and and it, it adds more fuel to the fire and I, and I completely get that I completely get that but I do sometimes wonder if it can go it can go slightly the the other way because when you're young and and you've got no responsibilities it's easy for boxing to be the most important thing in the world really easy but then when you've got a family, surely then don't you start to think, well, actually boxing's not the most important thing in the world. And there's, it's Rocky three, isn't it? Where, where they say to the rock, they say, you know, you've got civilized rock. Like that was a really terrible thing. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Is it, is it? Yeah. I, I, I sort of get what you're saying, but um, for me, I don't know any different because I was 21 when I had my first son um, and I was going away every week from then. So um, I've literally always been away, working in training camps, traveling when I've had kids all the way through, through uh, about a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. So it's literally no different to that. Um, it's just what I've, what I've grew up with, really. I remember talking to Jamie Moore about this, and he said that, he said that it, just stuck me with, it just stuck with me, this, and... He said that when they're really young, it's it's not a problem because although you know you'll miss them, uh, they've got no idea what's going on, so they're not gonna they're not gonna miss you. He said it. He said it got hard when they're old enough to basically get upset when you leave and kind of have a bit of a cry and, and ask you not to go. And is that? Did you find that? To leave them, but you know, this is one sacrifice is that. That we need to to make to to um, to win really to progress. Um, you know that's probably the hardest thing I have to do is leave my family every week. But it's we do it because we want we want to win um, things that we want self achievement for. We've got goals, we've got targets. You know, we want to win them goals, and the only way of doing that is leaving them at home and coming into camp and training hard and being focused and dedicated and cracking on. So, Matt, when it comes to... It's interesting to hear, to, to hear you say there, Luke, that that, um, that basically the, the enthusiasm and the passion is still there as it, as it always has been. And I don't doubt you, but in a way you do kind of have to have to say that, but... This is probably better coming from Acklin than it is from me, but it's a hell of a hard life you choose, fighters. A hell of a hard life, and and, and it's an unglamorous life. And and Matt, I just remember reading a, an interview you did in the Ring, I think, with uh, the Ring uh, website, I think, with Sean Brown, where you were talking about how in your early thirties, I think you were you were back training in Manchester or in Bolton for a bit, and you were walking back to your digs, shopping in hand. You'd just been to the supermarket. They started hammering it down with rain, uh, and you, you took shelter in a in a in a cafe, 
uh, and you're just sitting there stirring your cup of tea, looking out at this fairly desolate scene, and it just kind of hit you. You just thought, fuck, I'm still doing this. I'm still, I'm still on this treadmill. I'm still living this life. It's not getting any easier. I mean, there must be a few days like that. Yeah, I mean, for me, at that time in my career, like I said, I turned pro young, 19. At this stage, I think I was 31, 32. So I've been pro 12, 13 years. I fought for the world title a few times. I'd lost to Golovkin, which was my worst loss. You know, the other two, you know, for the world title, Sturm, I thought of one, and Martina was a close fight right to the end. So it was, you know, I, I, I think I've always been quite realistic. I knew I didn't have loads left. And on that particular night, you know, kind of being, living out of a bag. I, 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 I suppose the way I can describe it is, I think there's, there's a, let's say there's a bucket. There's got so much of hardships in you. Now, a hardship being a tough fight, a tough camp, leaving, as Luke is do, leaving his kids there, going away, staying in digs. You know, you, you train for a couple of hours. It's, it's a long day in between. I know things are probably easier now with FaceTime and WhatsApp and social media. You can kill the time a bit more and can stay connected. But, you know, it's still it's still a relatively you've got a loneliness is still a part of the game. It's a lonely sport and it is a lonely lifestyle when you're in training camp for a fight. So it's um, there's only so much hardship in you. Let's say you've got that full bucket of hardships when you're 20 or whatever when you turn pro. But every fight, every disappointment, every setback, it chips away at that. It takes a piece of it, and eventually, and at the same time, you're getting older. Um, you're having kids or you're getting married or you're making money, you know, you, you get less hungry. You talked about Rocky three. You got civilized, bro. He wasn't hungry anymore. And, and Clubber Lang, Mr. T was starving hungry. You know, I eat alone, I train alone. He's, he's a man on a mission. You know what I mean? He had that hunger in his belly where Rocky, he'd earned the millions. He'd won the world title. He had family. He became civilized. He, he wasn't so hungry anymore. And I think, Luke's at a point in his career now. He's 33 years old. He won Olympic gold medal. He's turned pro. He had a loss earlier on in his career, which he went on to avenge. He had a really good world title shot with um, Linares, who was a brilliant fighter. You know, again, Fort Lamachenko, one of the best pound, even not the best pound pound fighter in the world. All right, lost the fight, but I thought he boxed really, really well that night. Showed what level he's at. But now he's at a point where he's fighting another, a young guy. I think. Luke really needs to win a world title now. This this next roll of the dice, I think Luke's got to win a world title because if he doesn't, I think he's going to be in danger of being one of those fighters that should have won a world title because you don't stay motivated and hungry forever. As you get older, you achieve more, you make money. Other things in life become important and you just become a little bit less hungry. And it, we're talking split seconds, we're talking half yards, we're talking tiny, minute fractions which is the difference in winning and losing at top level. And that, that's, I suppose, where I suppose what you're alluring to a little bit, Andy, is in like, it loops in that situation now, I feel. Um, of course, he's going to say he's never felt better and he still thinks he's got his best days. And that may well be the case, but from my own personal experience, I certainly know that once I got over 30, and I did turn pro younger than Luke, you just the hunger just isn't quite what it was. So how have you found the... How have you found the We'll have a chat about the amateur days a bit later because I, lo- I love talking about the amateur days. It's uh, it, it's uh, it's always good fun. But but how have you found the kind of greasy pole, the, the snakes and ladders of, of of pro boxing? Because it's not an even playing field, is it? All opportunities are not equal 
some people might get an opportunity for a world title fight. People have had opportunities for world title fights substantially easier. Um, well, it's never easy. I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. That's a bit disrespectful. Um, with more in their favour than you have had, shall we say, having to go to America to fight Linares and then take on, on Lomachenko. Is, is the pro game been, been what you thought it would be? Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! I never really had any expectations of the program, to be honest with you. But, you know, everyone can only talk from, from their own experience. But I'm, I'm happy, boys. I've got, I've got a great life. I've got a great family got great people around me, got a great team down in the boxing gym, you know, we train hard, um, it's great banter, so I'm happy, I'm a happy person, um, I train to win, I put in 100% every time, and, you know, when the day comes that I'm, that I'm not, that I am unhappy, then I'm done, but up until then, I'm, I'm happy, I train hard, strive to be the best I can be and yeah literally that's it I think um, for myself I think life's great you know life's great for me I'm I'm happy yeah I am I mean I, I am still working away hard and digging deep and all that type of stuff but this is for me and my family to live to live the rest of our lives whatever way we choose you know so I'm putting in that graph now but yeah you know I'd I'm happy to go over to California and uh, and teach and teach them a few lessons of you know who's, who's still who's still there. So when you went over to California three years ago um, to box Jorge Linares, that was it, it was a it was a really good performance, and you very very nearly got the win. But the, the most amazing thing about it, really, I felt always when when we discovered this after the fight was that. In the build-up to that fight, just a couple of weeks before that fight, um, your dad had passed away, and it was something that you chose to to keep to yourself until after the fight. I mean, it's it's a it's a remarkable it's a remarkable story that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a team around me. Um, I didn't have a team around me um, to to talk to me. Uh, talk sense to me because you know I wasn't in any frame of mind to to be competing, especially not at that level. Um, you know, he was a three weight world champion, and at that time he was in the pound pound for pound list. Um, but you know, I was having panic attacks and everything out that right. But if I'd have had a proper team around me, the team I've got now, you know, they would have advised me to listen live and fight another day um, you don't need this right now with what's going on in your life but because it was just me 
that was doing everything, I I didn't know no other than to continue to keep moving forward and just to fight. I commentated on that fight, Andy, with um, with, with Adam Smith, I think it was, in, in Los Angeles. I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I had so much admiration for Luke finding out what he was going through to then put on that performance. And let's face it, he, Luke could have got that decision. It could have gone either way. It was razor thin yeah. close. I thought I, yeah. I thought I won it. I thought I won seven rounds. But listen, I was in the champion's back garden on his show. Um, and they say the knockdown cost me the fight. But I still thought I won seven clean, clear rounds out of that fight. Yeah, I thought... Lanares was smart. He was quite canny in a few of the rounds where he'd show ball and wasn't really doing anything, but it looked like he was in control. But he wasn't. But, listen, it, it is what it is. And um, everything that's happened in the past has put me where I am today. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am right now. Yeah, and no, I, th- I think the um, I think he he probably stole a few rounds with some eye catchy, flashy stuff in the last few seconds, didn't he? And then I think the knockdown probably did cost you, but uh, but nonetheless, hearing about what you were going through and everything emotionally, mentally, to put on that performance, I remember thinking afterwards, wow, that that kid's got some character, man, some mental toughness to block that out and still put on the performance he did, and you know, I think. You know, as you say, everything happens and everything puts you on the path you're on. But it, it's, um, I, I do hope and I do feel like it will be a time this time. I really do think that. I think even the the, the fight with Lomachenko, it was, um, I mean, again, I know you lost the fight and, it, you know, he is Lomachenko and he's pound for pound, but it was, uh, I thought it was a brilliant performance. It, how, how do you feel in terms of preparation for this fight? I know, I know you don't really want to delve into too much into the Garcia one, but, um, is there anything you see that he could? Because I'm, you know, I suppose you look at someone and you think, where how could this guy beat me? Is there anything you feel he's got that would concern you, or not even, or are you just super, super confident with this? Oh, listen, uh, you've always got to be confident in yourself, but I'm never, I'm never overconfident. Um, but I'm always, I'm always confident in myself, you know, and you have to be, um, you know, confident in my team um, around me. But um, it's, it's just about make sh- making sure that whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm practising, that it's, it's, on, it's on the ball, it's right. You know, there's no mistakes from my end, you know, regardless of what, what he's going to do. We just make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing everything right. There's no mistakes, no faults from my end and just preparing the best I can prepare. Does he... Does he get on your nerves slightly? Because I, it's an interesting one. But we, we talked quite a lot in recent weeks about the marketplace of boxing and where it's at at the moment for obvious reasons, because everything's precarious everywhere in the world, whatever you do. And social media is something that comes up a lot and social media followings. We're kind of both of the opinion that just because you've got loads of followers on Twitter or Instagram, it doesn't necessarily mean that much because... Clicking follow on either of those two things is is the easiest thing in the world to do. It doesn't mean that you're particularly invested in that in that person, but he's got a lot to say basically, and he strikes me like he's probably not your cup of tea. Is that fair? Um, 
I don't I don't dislike anyone in boxing, nor do I like uh, a lot of people in boxing. Um, it's a it's you know this is a business type of thing. I'm not going to go home with them and 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 go out and have a, have a meal and have a drink with them or you know go out for a coffee or something like that. So it's it, it's irrelevant to me how they ha- how they act or how they come across because you know apart from seeing them in the ring, I, I don't never have to see them, do I? So it's it, you know it's one of them. It's a very diplomatic answer. Um, we, we, there was a good video. There was a good video put around a couple of weeks ago of him throwing a load of left hooks um, and you throwing right hooks. And uh, reading the comments underneath it was was quite kind of illuminating. But um, there's only so much you could say about a forthcoming fight because it's one of those situations. Really, of course, you know you think you're going to win. If we talk to him, he think that he was going to win. But the great thing about boxing is that we will find out. Um, exactly. If you, if he's going to say, "Oh, I don't know about this one. I'm going to lose," then you know, it's obviously he's going to say he's going to win, and so am I. Interesting what you what you said there about about the the kind of nature of the business of the sport in in so much as friendships in professional boxing are, are probably fairly few and far between. Uh, you've got you know you've got a team around you, and you've got you've got other fighters in the gym. Um, different when you were an amateur because obviously you're on that GB setup and you are part of a team. I mean, did you prefer that when you've, you've got people to bounce off all day, every day, really, when you were there? Um, and as a pro, you kind of have at the minute, but you're in camp at different times, a lot of the times, so or sometimes it might just be you. Did you prefer that or do you prefer it now when you're the one who makes all the decisions about what you do? Um, listen, the... Um the pro the pro game to the amateurs, you know, is certainly toughens you up. You know, the pro game certainly toughens you up way more than the amateurs. Let's let's be honest. And you know, is it obviously when you're at when 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 you're with a full team of amateurs, you know, you're all training together, you're all running together. But um, and I I have been alone for for literally the majority of my professional career. I was doing it on my own. Yeah, and it was lonely, but it just, I think it just builds character, builds mental toughness in in me and toughness to go over to America for two years on my own, eight weeks at a time, going in gym, hostile gyms with 20, 30 Cubans around the ring, all cheering for him and stuff like that. And here's me, a little skinny English white boy, just, you know, going in there and, and having to prove myself to them all, so it certainly toughens you up. Um, the amateurs, it's you know you're, you're sparring every week with the same guys, so it's that that fear you know is not always in your stomach when you when you know the and um, when you spar with the same guy over and over and over and over again for a year or two years, you know it's that element of fear that you don't you don't know what they're going to bring, you know. Is, is different, but it's the pro game certainly toughens you up from the amateurs. Has, has there ever been a time where, because from what you said there, it sounds like the inner confidence has has been in place maybe from quite an early stage or from earlier than it is with, with a lot of people. But when we speak to people about the amateurs, it's amazing how many people are, are happy to just admit to the doubts and, and, and the fear early in a pro career, early in an amateur career, when you're a kid, 
Frotch, even Frotch, I could hardly believe it, said that, you know, at one point he felt like if I just jumped out of this window here before one of his amateur bouts when he was, when he was young uh, and ran away, what would, you know, would it really matter? You know, other people have told us about throwing their gum shield in a bush to try and make sure they couldn't fight and then someone offering them a spare one and, you know, them feeling like they wanted to strangle them. Was this always for you? Or, are you, or did, you have, did you have moments like that yourself? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I did. Um, I always remember as an amateur, like in my fourth amateur contest, where I went to see the doctor, you know, just before you, you, you've you weighed in, then you see the doctor, you know, at like the local club show. Um, I was waiting and seeing the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, you were, uh, how are you been feeling? Are you okay? And, um, sorry, Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So he said, "How are you? How are you being? How are you feeling? Are you okay?" So I said, "Oh well, I've, I've had a bit of a cough lately." Um, and then he just said, "Oh, you." Then he signed me like a cunt box. <laughs> Do you know? I'm not sure because I told him I'd had a cough last week. <laughs> so then my coach, my coach stormed back with me to um, to the doctor and said, "No, he's fine. Sign him there. He's fine." Boom. <laughs> and then signed me down, and I was all right to box, and I I, I won that night. But um. No, not really. For the rest of the question. <laughs> Look, I remember the first time I heard of you was um, there was a kid called Michael Maguire. Now, my brother boxed him twice and my brother's mate Rooney had boxed him. So I'd seen Michael Maguire box a few times. I remember thinking yeah. at the time he was one of the best schoolboys I'd ever seen. And then the next thing I know, I got told he got beaten. I was thinking, Did yeah, I fucked him up. Shot? Who beat him? <laughs> and then it was you. Um, do you remember that fight? Yeah, yeah, I bust him right up. I, um, you know, do you know who come to watch him fight? He, he brought David Hay to watch him fight because David Hay was going to sign him. Yeah, and I and, think they did uh, sign him after that. Uh, eventually, anyway. I think they did sign him, didn't they? Yeah, Michael Maguire even told me he'd stop smoking to fight me. <laughs> 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 but he was literally, I think he had like 94 fights and lost two. Um, yeah. But yeah, I... I beat him good. Um, I think I'd give him a standing eight count and everything. So it was, yeah, it was a good good day, that. And then the next day after it, uh, I beat another national champion 21 nil. <laughs> uh, 21 nil. Was that where you kicked on to another level, do you think, as an amateur from around that point? Yeah, I guess in the seniors, yeah. Yeah, in the seniors. That was the in the senior years, my first one. So I, I won that one. Um, I won two senior years, but yeah. Um, no, sorry, I'm lying. That was my second senior years. So what? How, how did it all start in the first place? How did you, why, why, why boxing? Um, good question. I don't know. I just thought it was a cool sport. I thought I could win a few trophies. I thought it was cool. I did pre- play rugby league at the time, um, but I just, I always wanted to do boxing for no reason whatsoever. Didn't know a single boxer in, in the game. No one I knew of was boxing, but I, just, I thought, oh, it's cool to do boxing. So, so what was it though? What, what did you? I mean, you must have. When I was a kid, for example, um, Karate Kid. When that came out, I would have been six or seven, uh, and so all kids, every kid wanted to do karate. Every kid wanted to do karate. I've been watching Cobra Kai actually the last few weeks. Um, absolutely tremendous, tremendous trip down kind of. You've got to look at Karate Kid. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think one. Well, yeah, think... Don't, don't, don't me yagging me, will you? Uh, <laughs> more like Tim Tim. <laughs> Where's one, your dog at? One thing, one thing I've got in. Have in you got common... a dog? I haven't got a dog. I haven't got a dog. Oh man! But the, one thing I've got in, down I, that. something I've got in common, possibly with Daniel Larusso or, or the guy who plays him, is that I look younger than I actually am because um, he looks. He's nearly sixty. Um, and they've still got him in Cobra Kai doing kind of like karate moves. It's not all that convincing, to be honest. But anyway, that's why that's why everybody was... It was karate when I was a kid, because we'd all seen that. So, I mean, there must have been something that made you think that boxing was a cool sport. Really? Honestly, there wasn't. Um, I think one night uh, I decided not to go, and I probably would have never have gone. Um, but my brother went. And I felt sad that I'd let my younger brother go to the gym on his own. So after five minutes of him already left the house, I, I caught him up. I, I got my stuff, ran, caught him up and went to the gym. But if he would have said to me that night, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a miss. I probably, I may never, never went again. So, yeah. Crazy. And with the other, you know, you said you played rugby league. Was that was that kind of the sport that you followed as a kid? Then, or was you know, what was your hobbies as a kid? Rugby league was is massive in uh, in Hull in in the north, really. Um, you know, we've got two rugby league teams in the Super League, which is Hull, uh, Hull FC and Hull KR. So it's always been a big rugby city, and you know, most of my mates did it. So you know, I sort of did it as well. Um, and I was I was a forward, believe it or not. I was a second row. I was a little chubby kid. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't that good at it. Didn't enjoy it. Um, I just did it because my mates did it, I guess. And then I stopped. I started boxing. And then I, I I stopped doing rugby so I could fully commit to boxing. And when when did you get down to the St Paul's Boxing Club? Was that the local club? No, no. For me, it was a different club called Fish Trades. <laughs> Uh, and I had, um, I'd had my out my first nine fights. I only won three, so um, I didn't get off to the best of starts. And then from from being there, season, because um, I was I was fighting. I was I only walked in the gym two months, and then I was carded and, and fighting um, after two months of ever walking into the gym. And then um, after a season there, I decided to move to a different gym of St. Paul's and then started there. I mean, like this first gym, say for instance, on my fourth fight, I went over to Ireland with the gym to fight and they put me in with a three-time schoolboy Irish champion with over 100 fights. I'd had four fights. Got stopped in the second round, but I had a cracking first round. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's mad. That's, that's, that sort of match shouldn't really happen to be honest. Um, no, no, he should have been disqualified from boxing that fella. Yeah, absolutely. I but... hope he watched this interview. Yeah, I, I, I hate seeing that or hearing huh. about you know the young kids in there. People just want to level playing field. You got a young kid, Luke, there, three, four fights, and he's boxing a kid who's way more experienced. Do you know what I mean? That's how. It, I mean, you've got someone there that's gone on to an Olympic gold medal, probably and hopefully will win a world title. That really might have just thought, I don't want to box anymore because he got disheartened early on because he was slung in by someone who just didn't care. You know, his coach didn't look after him. You know, these are people that are looking after young kids. Do you know what I mean? And they just don't care. It's they, People that should be banned from boxing. Yeah. I mean, his excuse was he had he always had the towel 
to throw in. So, but I mean, a couple more fights, I would have done him, but. <laughs> but like you say, you could have got disheartened at that point. You throw the towel in. You, you know, you, you, you're your own kid. Your pride's hurt. You've been stopped. You could easily think, nah, this ain't for me. And then yeah. you wouldn't have gone on and had, the, look, look at the career you've gone on and had, had you know, which is obviously always yeah. in you. Capability-wise, yeah, you know, if you'd have got disheartened or sickened with the sport or disillusioned with it early on in your life because of someone yeah. that didn't give a shit, basically, you know, and then you, you lose good kids like that. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's really yeah, no, it's, it's true. I think, I think my, my, that's what happened to my brother because he was boxing me at the same time. I think he just he lost his face too, got disheartened, and then just went elsewhere. But you know, listen, it, it's easy to have confidence when it's all going good. But when things aren't going good, try having confidence then. Uh, that's when it builds the character. Yeah, I am a character builder, like. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's have a chat about London, about London 2012, because it's a home Olympics, and the pressure is the pressure is on to deliver and the pressure was on the whole team to deliver there because I remember it I remember it well I remember the build up to it well we qualified a lot of boxers uh, qualified even more four years later in Rio but we qualified a lot of boxers and some very good fighters too who'd medalled at major tournaments in the build up yourself Anthony Joshua of course Tom Stalker uh, we're talking Fred Evans Andrew Selby who was a pretty supersonic amateur Josh Taylor who had a sprawling vast uh, t- top international amateur career but just kind of fell short in the major competitions where I'm, I'm talking Olympics world championships European championships there so what, what was the expectation like um, within the within the setup because with the Olympics as well what's really important and sometimes people don't realize this is that that the that individual sport and that individual program they need to achieve the kind of medal prediction or it can affect their funding for the next four years, basically. So there is a lot of pressure. Yeah, of course. Basically, what you're saying is if we don't medal, they lose the jobs. That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell, really, because we need to guarantee funding by getting medals. So if there's no funding coming in, then there's no jobs. So the pressure is on, of course. Like We need to, we need to hit a, set, a certain target um, of medals and... And stuff like that for 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 Team GB to um, to secure the the next Olympic cycles funding again. So there's always pressure on, like to go up there and win. Of course. What what was the whole experience of the Olympic Games like? I mean, did you did you get to do the opening ceremony, or was your opening bout a bit too close to that? Did you did you experience all of that? Yeah, I did the opening ceremony. Um, Seen a lot of kids walking around, happy to be there in the moment, um, happy to be a part of it. I was never one of them kids that wanted to be a part of the Olympics. I wanted to be, I wanted to win it. I seen so many kids there, just happy to be a part of it, and I'm like, I couldn't care less to be a part of it. I mean, to win gold, and that's it. You know, I really wanted to medal and obviously win, win. But there were so many kids, no matter whether the the loss that was just happy to be a part of the Olympics and that was never me. Well, I mean, it's, it, it is something that, that I do wonder about a bit myself because it is, for me, looking on, it's an enormous achievement to be an Olympian, but the fanfare, 
that greeted our Rio 2016 Olympians when they signed pro was was considerable. But only one of them got a medal. Two of them, sorry, Joe Joyce and uh, and um, Josh Boatsy and Joshua Boatsy, of course, and, uh, and Nicola Adams got got another gold medal. Um, but you always had that mindset that basically getting to, to London 2012, you know, you weren't going to go out and get the Olympic rings tattooed on your bicep. It was all about it was all about getting a medal. And if you didn't get a medal, then you'd have feel like you failed. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Because if I'm not there to get a medal, then what's the point? You know, I was I was really there to win it. I wanted to be the best. Was that a common attitude attitude within that within that group? Do you think? Um, again, everyone individually um, might have had a different mindset, but for me, um, that was my mindset. Um, but so I can't. I mean, I can't speak for the rest of them. I don't know what their mindset was like because you was all sort of in your own routine. You weren't sort of moving around in groups sort of together. I mean, you'd go for breakfast together and things like that, but you was in your own individual routine because everyone's fighting at different times and things like that. So, I mean, but I suppose Andy as well, you got someone like Luke who was so sort of decorated as an amateur anyway, even going into the Olympics, you know, he'd won so many gold medals. He was such a consistent performer, constantly winning gold medals that it wasn't, it was it was it, it was kind of expected that he might win the gold. Do you know what I mean? Where sometimes you get fighters, certainly from you know Britain, and that that you know they've they've done well in the Olympics, but maybe ne- maybe not necessarily going into the Olympics where they expected to win gold medal or whatever. That they've kind of really peaked or had a really good tournament. Where I think with you, Luke, really going into the, the Olympics, you were consistently winning gold medals in in every yeah. tournament. So had you not got that, really, you wouldn't have felt like you'd performed. I guess. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. You know, you you do get these these odd fighters that now and again will never win anything, but they'll qualify for the Olympics and then just win that. Like, but for me, uh, you know, I was I was winning medals constantly. Um, I won the Europeans, got a world silver medal. Um, I'd like thirty odd fights in or thirty five fights, something like that, in like two years of doing international tournaments and I was unbeaten. You know, I'd go into multinational tournaments all the time, I'd have three or four fights and, and winning tournaments left, right and centre. So, yeah, I was there to be the best. Yeah, so you, you knew what the competition was, you knew where you were really. You, all you knew, you knew you just had to basically perform to the best of your abilities and you'll be there or thereabouts for the gold medal. Yeah, obviously, oh, I mean, a, draw, a, a good draw always helps um, but you know it is literally about what you just said there but you had a you had a you had a close one first up um, Vittorio Paranello a couple of points in that one and then in, in the next fight against Delakliev that was just that was just a single point and with the yeah. with the points, rubbing me in that one well the the scoring system in amateur boxing well, professional boxing too, but in amateur boxing has long been a source of great debate. And it wasn't that long after London. It was just before the World Championships the next year, which were in Kazakhstan, that they changed it to the 10-point must. When when you're in there in a close one, it must be very, very difficult to keep your discipline and keep your and keep your nerve because 
you, no matter how experienced you are, you can just never be absolutely sure whether what you've landed is actually going to score. Um, no, of course. I mean, you know, all you've got to do is your best and then, you know, hope that the judges see the truth in, in the fight and, 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 and give it. Um, but it, it, discipline's much easier when you're, when you're sort of losing, I think, because you've got no choice then to be disciplined. Did you think that you'd got it in that second fight against Delakliev? 16-15? Well, I, 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 I thought I won the first round and I was two points down. I went out in the second round, had a great second round. I thought I'd definitely levelled it up or even even was up on the scorecards. I was still down. So going into, I was one down. So still going into last round, I was one point down and I just thought I've got to give it everything. I have to take one to give two. I've got to do it. And, you know, I could see him blowing because I was setting a very high pace, throwing a lot of shots. And, you know, I just, I, I didn't know at the end of the fight who'd got it. I think no one knew, I guess. But luckily, they the scored the right decision. So in terms of the final, you're up against John Joe Nevin, um, who's had a bit of a stop-start professional career. He's, he's uh, training with Jim McDonnell these days, I think, and, and getting, a few, getting a few outings. How were the nerves going into that? Because the way you've kind of painted the picture, I'd imagine when you won it was more a sense of relief that you hadn't lost, possibly. I've talked to other Olympians about this and who, who, who put themselves under a lot of pressure and, and were expected to win. Victoria Pendleton, I remember speaking to her about it, and I said, what's the feeling when you win Olympic gold? And this was about 10, 15 years ago when I was... It was after Beijing, so 12 years ago, when I was, I'd not been doing the job as, as, as long, and I just assumed that the answer would be, oh, it's absolute euphoria. Um, and she just looked at me and just said, I was just relieved that that I delivered, that I'd done it, that I'd done what I'd worked so hard for. It wasn't any great, you know, paroxysm of joy. It was just relief. Was it the same for you? Yeah, of course. I, I think it was the same for probably for everyone. It's massive, isn't it? To, a silver to a gold is huge. So I think there's always that massive relief. That, oh, I've done it. Everything I've done, all everything I've worked for is all paid off. You know, I've done it. So I think it's... It's always going to be a great relief, you know, for someone you've been striving for and working so hard for, and then you finally get it. It's a massive relief. To, to what extent do you do you allow yourself to kind of celebrate that? I mean, do you allow yourself to to dwell on achievements and 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 be proud with yourself, proud of yourself, pleased with yourself. I mean, it's like, I feel like I'm speaking to a boxing equivalent of Roy Keane here almost, who just kind of like, <laughs> celebration and enjoyment of, of the moment is for the week. As soon as you've won anything, then you must immediately look ahead to the next thing with laser focus. I mean, it's just, this is, this is the difference between, one, one of the many differences between me and, and you and, and, and Matt too, is that I don't, I don't get that. I just don't, I don't get that. I, I think, you know, if I was, if I, I was going to say, if I was an elite level performer in sport, I wouldn't be one because I would have celebrated my victories far too hard. But that kind of discipline, it's, 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 I don't know. It just, it just seems to me to be quite, I just feel like you could give yourself a bit more of a break sometimes, sometimes you fellas. What do you think, Macklin? Yeah, well, I mean, 
Luke's obviously got big expectations of himself, so he puts himself, you know, he's expecting himself to win gold. So, um, but, I, but I understand what you're saying too, too, Andy. And I, I did laugh when you compared him to Roy Keane because Roy Keane, unbelievable career. You know, it's almost like, yeah, you win and you're not allowed to celebrate or enjoy it. It's like, yeah, well, that should be done. That one's the next thing. And it's like, Luke, Luke, Luke's um, very much obviously got big expectations, wants to achieve big things and expects the utmost best of himself. And when he gets it, it's like, rather than being like really jumping for joy, it's like, well, that was expected <laughs> of myself. I expected that. But uh, but I'm sure deep down inside of him, he's, he's over the moon. He, he definitely celebrates more than he's letting on here, I believe anyway. Uh, I, I, I've just got a bad habit of achieving goals putting them on the shelf and then building another shelf above it and then trying to fill that. I think that's, that's a, like you said, it's a little bit of a bad habit of mine of, yeah, I've achieved that, put it on the shelf, that shelf's full, right, let's build another shelf above that and let's go for that. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Well that's- Yeah, and I think that's I think that's something that's that's I think all successful, ambitious people have got a little bit of that in them. You know, they'll set a goal, they'll achieve the goal, and then it's like, all right, what now? On to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's really, really common. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned Keane there. It's just, you know, I've always been slightly obsessed with him. I just find him enormously entertaining. And I remember reading Niall Quinn's book and, and, and Niall Quinn was different and he was just like, oh God, like with Republic of Ireland, you know, you're training on a Tuesday morning and Roy Keane's marching around muttering about fail to prepare, to prepare to fail. And, and our Quinn's just saying, I'm just standing there thinking, oh, just fuck off, Roy. Like, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I went out last night. Just, just, just go away. Um, but um, that you do, you do have to have that. You do have to have that. Does it make you wonder what you will, when you've finished, um, you're going to have to relax a bit, I'd have thought. Oh, 100%. I'm on a beach smoking a cigar, drinking a a shot of whiskey. You know what I mean? But I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure you say that, but it's a big switch to make to to turn that off. I don't believe you, Luke. I can't see you doing that. Oh, I'll send you a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had any any thoughts about what life after boxing might be like? Because... I know that you are opening a... I, got, I thought this must have been a typo when I got it from your man, Paddy. He said you're opening a boutique gym in uh, in Hull. And I just thought, you, you, can't, you don't have boutique gyms in Hull, do you, surely? I mean, that's... You do now. Well, I, it, that's brave. I would say that's brave. So tell us about that. No, it's just, again, it's just growing. Um, obviously, boxing creates a hell of a lot of opportunities. Um for myself and then it's just it's just growing my brand further and what is it I know what is it I'm good at um, and obviously keeping fit healthy training the gym all that type of stuff it's what I've been doing for the past 20 years so um, yeah I think it's it's a great project um, 
what I've got going on, uh, and it's going to be it's going to be really good. We're also going to be doing a side of the gym where we're going to be really helping with people with um, mental health and stuff like that. So we're going to be doing a lot with that as well. But it's 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 a fully equipped, functional, like fitness, cardio, strength gym. Um, you know, like just like. I don't know any any other gym where you get you get Olympic platforms, your cardio machines, your dumbbells, your weights, everything. Obviously, I'm going to have the boxing ring side in there as well. So it's it's going to be really good. Is is coaching something you're interested in? You're interested in at all, or or not really? Okay. I mean, um, I feel like I'm. I'd be very good at it. Um, I sometimes sit Shane down and say a few things to him and. Give him some advice. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't really. Um, it's a big commitment for me. Being boxing for 20 years and having that commitment, then to go into coaching again, which is an, which is a very similar commitment, if not the same. I don't know if I'd want that. It, it is. I mean, it's it's a massive it's a massive undertaking, isn't it? And and. Shane. Being in the gym every day with your fighters and make sure that they're, they're living the life and, you know, being away all the time, tournaments and boxing nights and weekends and weeks away and stuff like that. It's, it's a huge commitment to take on after the commitment that I would have already give boxing. We've got a few different careers to take care of if you're a trainer, haven't you, rather than just looking after your own, which which is enough in itself when you're, when you're a fighter. Uh, I think... Would it be fair to say that, that you and Shane are quite, in terms of mindset, quite similar then? Because I think the, the kinds of things you've you've just outlined in terms of your own psyche, I would, I don't know him as well, obviously, but I, I would imagine that they probably apply to him as well. Sets high standards, looks to achieve those standards and then on to the next thing. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Um, the gym has a hell of a high standard. Um, you know, we we train very hard, and you know, everybody in the gym is is very good. <laughs> you know, there's there's no one in the gym that's not a good fighter. So there's a very high standard of class in the gym, and what's expected of us. I mean, I mean, I'd imagine only one of the only downsides to it would be that that you're all uh, absolutely smashed out of your brains on CBD oil all the time because uh, because. <laughs> Because you've got Fowler in your gym. <laughs> you had them all up at your house training during lockdown. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, you, Billum Smith, Fowler and, and Shane McGuigan, I don't know how you got that past Mrs. Campbell for a start. Um, but secondly, I just thought, how is the room for all those people and the crates of CBD oil? Um, yeah, I mean, I sell it to Fowler and Fowler sells it on. So, um, so it's all good. Yeah. Wholesalers keep the touch. Wholesalers keep it low key. <laughs> it's a good mix of characters, isn't it? It's a good mix of characters because Billum Smith. Um, I like Chris. He's, 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 he's good fun. Fat pipe. That's his nickname. <laughs> what is? Did you know that? No, no, I didn't say it. Say it again. <laughs> I don't think I should repeat that. 
It sounds like a personal hygiene issue, which... Um, <laughs> so you, know. you heard me then? <laughs> yeah, I think I did, yeah, I think I did. Fart pipe, I think, was... Um, was uh, we'll, well, have to invite, we'll have to invite him on and give him his, uh, give him his right, to, right to reply. Um, oh, but he's really tickled me. He's, um, he's yeah, great he's got to a, have in camp, I've missed him. Well, he's got that Commonwealth title and Fowler, uh, Fowler's been going going well. He got, got a good win during during fight camp as well. It's it's yeah, it's a good it's a good kind of like balanced balanced stable. Shane, Shane doesn't ever really want to take on too many fighters at at one time. And what what I've kind of always found with him is that whenever I speak to him, even though I'm ten years older than him, maybe a little bit more, he's just got that kind of air about him where I come off feeling like I'm younger than him. He's he's kind of you know what I mean? He's got that kind of He's got an old head on young shoulders is the easy way to describe it. But it's just, it's a bit more than that. There's a little bit of kind of sort of natural authority about him, I would say, because probably because unlike most people in boxing, he just doesn't say that much. Uh, and and a, lot, a lot of people find that his silence quite intimidating. Um, he's just a very well, young, educated young man. Um, you know, that knows what he's talking about. Um you know, and every time he's got a valid point, to be fair, he's 85% is usually right. So what does the rest of what does the rest of camp look like? You're down in uh you're down in Kent at the moment. Um towards the later stages. Do we know where it is yet? The fight. Um I could say it's California, but I don't know where. I don't know when. How long do you think you'll go over before, Luke? Um, I'm not sure yet. I mean, we're just waiting on getting an actual date and then once we get that actual date, Shane will put a fight plan together. Is the 21st looking the most likely? 21st of November. November. Um, I'm not sure. You may know more than me on this point. Because um, I think the earliest we can go is the 14th. Um, but literally, we are still waiting on an actual confirmed date. But I do believe it will be late November, mid to late November. Are you bothered at all about the lack of crowds? I mean, it, the situation is different there. Maybe they'll be able to get something going by then. It's not going to be the case here. But um, the longer this goes on, the more this just becomes a kind of a fact of life for all of you, doesn't it? And there's 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 no point even really thinking about waiting because waiting for crowds to come back here or anywhere could be yeah. waiting a really I mean, long you time. literally, you don't know how long you're going to be waiting for. So it's just the case of just getting out there and, you know, fighting. I mean, if there's no crowd, there's no crowd. Um, there's a lot of fight, fighters that I've already fought and with no crowds and, you know, it's not really affected them, I guess. But um, it just remind me of the amateur days. I was going to say, Luke, I mean, you must have boxed in some mad places where there was literally no crowd there. And some of these boxing stadiums as an amateur with no crowds. <laughs> Never mind small little holes, but like actual stadiums where there's been no crowds, where, where there's been no one in it. And you've still got to get yourself up for the fight. Yeah, I mean, get, getting yourself up for the fight is, you know, that motivation comes from wanting to win. Thank you. 
Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Some of the places you end up going on that amateur circuit are, are, are tremendous. Um, I took in a good few myself over a two, three year period. And yeah, I, I remember going to Kazakhstan um, for the Women's World Championships, this kind of like 10,000 all-seater air-conditioned indoor arena um, in, in Astana and there was nobody there. Uh, it's absolute space-age facility and just, just, just nobody in it. Where, where would you say is the is the place that you went to, of all the places you went to, where you just thought, I really never, ever thought that I would come somewhere like this? A lot. There's, there's been a lot of places. Um, Kazakhstan being one of them. Um, in the middle of nowhere in Kazakhstan. Um, it was a 45-minute walk to the, to the closest shop. Um, and you're seeing kids riding donkeys and wild dogs chasing you. And then when you get to the garage, 45-minute walk to the garage, you've got the wrong money. So then you've got that same 45-minute walking back and then the dragging horses into the kitchen as you are sat down to eat. You know, and that's what you are eating, that horse literally just dragged right in front of you right across. Um, so that's certainly been one of the places. Um, there's been so many, there's been loads of places. I've been everywhere. Been to places in Bulgaria where the hotel, I'm in the hotel, I've got to shut my hotel room door and there's about a four foot gap like from the, look like a massive dog flap at the bottom of the door but with no flap, it was just open. So literally anyone in the night, if wanted to come into my, our room, could just crawl under the door. <laughs> um, been to some crazy places. Macedonia, Bosnia, Russia, Ukraine. All sorts. I've stayed in hostels getting bit by bed bug, bugs. You know, everywhere you can think of. Nasty places I've been. The glamour of boxing internationally. <laughs> I know what I want in life. <laughs> I mean, did you not think of, um, did you not wander down to reception in Bulgaria and, and alert them to the fact that there was a, a massive gap underneath your door and that maybe they wanted to go and do something about it or were they, were they quite, know, were, they, was, were they a rough was, looking crew? It was, it was normal to them. I mean, you looked out the hotel window, it looked like you was looking at Gotham City. I mean, it, it was normal to them. Yeah, I, I remember turning up at a couple of places where they, they had a sign behind the desk where, you know, the one you get when it's no smoking, and they'll have a, a picture of a cigarette with a with a red line through it. They they had that, but it was with a gun. Yeah, um, boxing places like that too. Yeah, no gun signs as as you're in the changing rooms. Like, yes, no, no gun signs like that. That was never really. I mean, I never looked at that and just thought, oh god, god, they reminded me about that, or I would have brought my Kalashnikov in. It was never really. It was never really something that was. We, we had that in, I boxed in South Africa and it was like that, you know, no, no, no shoot, no trainers, no whatever, no firearms. 
You know what I mean? Like literally, you're like no, as if that's on a par with no trainers. Yeah, no, <laughs> no chewing gum and no guns. <laughs> oh, it's just... only, only axes and knives in this area. <laughs> it just, it really, God, it really makes me miss getting out and about to these kinds of places so much because um, just getting out anywhere at the minute, to be honest, it's. Um, uh, it's just uh, it's, it's kind of therapy for me at the minute, Macklin State, to be honest. We can talk to people about actual fights and actual things that happened in real life that involve going to places and speaking to people um, and actually being able to to shake hands rather than touch elbows or, or, bump, or bump fists. And Although, actually, the, what, one thing that I, I think has been simplified for me um, during COVID... Uh, and, and, I've never asked Macklin this. I wonder if you two have experienced the same kind of problems. Handshakes in boxing are an absolute minefield, I find, because I'm an orthodox handshake man. And what I find often, I've lost count of the amount of times that I've gone to shake someone's hand. They've offered me a closed fist. I've not really made the necessary adjustment quickly enough. And I end up just like pumping their closed fist like some kind of gear stick or... or they offer me the paper, opposite. It's like paper, scissors, stones. Oh, it's an <laughs> absolute nightmare. Or, or, or you, you go for the handshake and then you realise that they're going for the upturned handshake with the interlocking thumbs, which is always followed by a kind of hug or a lean in. And I never really know, is it going to be a, is it going to be a full on hug or is it going to be one of those lean ins where you kind of clap each other on the back and then release like a double clap release? What's going to happen? You know, it's just... It's just, whereas now... It's a awkward moment, isn't it? Oh, whereas now, now, it's just... Um, it's just what do you say bump. to them? What do you say to them, best out of three? Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like I, I, feel like I might as well sometimes because it's, it, now it's a lot simpler. Now it's a lot simpler because it's, it's just a fist bump, but I can't be the only one who, who, who finds that tricky. I mean, you two have been... You, you were brought up in gym, so it's, it's different. Although I, I remember I did see Rob McCracken in, um, in Saudi Arabia... Um, yeah, grab someone's outstretched fist. Because um, Rob's, Rob's, Rob, and you know where you are with Rob, you see. It's really easy. He's a solid, traditional handshake man. Um, anyway, I don't think you two have, I don't think you really know what I'm talking about. But I, I think what I'm going to do going forward is I'm going to, I think my problem has been that I've been too eager to kind of get on the front foot with that, with, with, with the traditional handshake. And I've tended to kind of, go a bit too all in, gone over the top of my front foot. I've fallen in with the handshake is what I've done. It's too, <laughs> it's too easy to read. Um, and then I can't make the necessary adjustments. So now I'm going to be more of a, more of a, a counter shaker, a back foot Stand handshaker. Back read it. Stand That's back it. Read it. That's it. I'm going to dr- <laughs> draw the lead. Just give it a shake, regardless. Just give it a shake. Yeah, that, that's what's always happened so far. Anyway, that's a snapshot into... Don't change uh, who you are. <laughs> yeah. That's a snapshot into my world and the kinds of things that I, I have problems with. Um, Luke, so anyway, thanks for your company. This has been really good fun. Um, so what does the rest of the evening hold for you? A typical night in camp, I mean, what do you, it's only 20 past seven. What, do you, what are you going to do? I'm going to go in and eat, I think, um, and then relax. I've done my training now today. So, yeah, just a bit of food, relax, get a shower. And there. Anyone else down there with you? Any, any of the other, other lads in camp at the minute? Yeah, we've got Chris. Uh, Chris in that camp, uh, Lawrence, and we've got Alfie Price. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. 
Lawrence must be waiting for a date for his world title fight with Glavatsky. That's that's yeah, another December one. December twelfth. December twelfth. AJ Card, I think. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, that's been a that's been um, that's been in the offing for a while, hasn't it? And it'll be interesting to see. That's a very interesting fight, actually. Okoli's the kind of fighter who I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he's always going to be very hard to beat, whoever you are. And I certainly give him a chance um, in that fight. And he's taken quite a lot of stick, but what one thing I quite admire about him is the fact that he he doesn't seem to take things particularly personally. And he's won European titles. He's won a European title, a British title, a Commonwealth title. He's, you know, he's going great guns. Um, so we'll, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Yeah. And well, thanks. Thanks very much for your time. Best of luck in that fight against Garcia whenever it happens. Thanks and very thanks very much for, for tuning in, everybody. We'll catch you again next time. Podcast Network.